Let's pray. Lord, we do lift ourselves to you. And we pray that the word would come alive prophetically to us this morning. Like chicks in the nest, we crave feeding, Lord. We crave direction and edification. And we ask for your leading, your prophetic leading through the scriptures to come to us. Lord, we bow before the King of Kings. We bow before the Lord of Lords. Come and edify your church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Turn to Genesis a moment. Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45. I'm going to read a, a portion of this, something we referred to a few weeks ago about Joseph. I want to come back to it. Genesis chapter 45 and verse 1. And this is where Joseph has brought his brothers to, to Egypt and he's just about to reveal who he is. Genesis 45 verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said to him, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. I want to talk this morning about family reunions, getting together, getting back together with our families. Now, family reunions happen for all manner of reasons. They happen because of maybe Easter. They happen at Christmas time. They happen at marriages. They happen at holidays. They happen at graduations. Amen. All manner of reasons you get together with your family. Now, whilst that is a very exciting, very you know, good occasion for many. For some people, a family reunion fills them with fear, fills them with trepidation, fills them with, you know, expectations that they just don't know quite what to do with. You see, we've all got a history, right? And Joseph here's got a history, and Joseph, his family, have got quite a tragic history. A few weeks ago, if you remember, I showed you a picture of the only family reunion our family ever had. This was because my dad was, was nearing the end of his life. And we all got together. And there's nine children. There was about 40 grandchildren. So there was about 50 people together here. And this was a great two days. We all stayed in the same hotel. And when the two days were over, I rang my parents' room, my mom and dad. And I said, I just want to come up and talk to you. just want to say something. And I went up to their room. And I said to my parents, do you know what? The whole family tree has been together in this hotel for two days. And I have not heard 
one bad word said by anyone about anyone else. There has been nothing but joy and laughter and just, you know, a great coming together of the family. And I can tell you, they went, praise God. Now, it, it, that was, we knew my dad was going to die soon and everybody, of course, was on their best behavior, right? And it, it, it was so good to do that, though. Unfortunately, when many families get together, that's not the case. Pastor Elia gave me a picture of when he was seven years old and when he was together with his family. This is it. Now, as you can see, as you can see, his hairstyle has changed. But it's still, this is his dear mother, his dear brother. I'm only joking. But imagine meeting a lovely girl like this and she says, come home and meet the family. And you go in and you meet a family like that. Heavens above. <laughs> family reunions are not good for everyone. And believe me, for Joseph, his heart must have been pounding to know that his brother... Is that frightening you? Is that, is that, be is that better? Is that worse? Is it? Okay, I'll tell you, I'll leave it on there. The family reunion that Joseph was, was actually anticipating here was absolutely heart-rendering. Do you know why? Because he was just about to meet the brothers who had tried to kill him. They tried to kill him. And you might think, well, I've got to meet my brother, I've got to meet my sister, I've got to meet my mom and my dad. And years ago we had this argument. Or that. These guys tried to kill him, right? They didn't want him with them. They had thrown him in a pit, they tied him, they covered him in blood and dumped him in a hole in the ground. Left him to die. These were the brothers who were, they were very immature. But they had lied about him to the father right, to their father, to Jacob. They had lied. These were the brothers who were responsible for separating Joseph from his family. You broke up my family. You kept, you left me alone. These were they who did that. So this was quite an encounter. Here they come. These 11 or 10 or whatever brothers it was, they come into his presence. And no doubt he would have thought back and he would have been, you know, struggling to control his anger about what they did in the past. But at the same time, he would have thought, you know what? When I look back to what I did, remember I told him about my dream? I wish I'd kept my mouth shut. Because he was bombastic. He was precocious. He was, he was not sensible. And he, he'll probably regret that. But here it is. It's a family reunion. And whether you like it or not, they're all coming together. Now, there's plenty of scores that could be settled, right? And somehow he has to get past that. You know, when our past comes into your present, it's not easy. I drank for years. I was a drinking man in the clubs and the pubs of Cardiff City in Wales. Many, many friends in a large social circle. And then all of a sudden, boom, I'm born again. And I extract myself from a big circle of friends. They're my life, right? Now I'm born again, and I'm outside that circle. And you know what? I found it very, very difficult to relate to my old friends. I'd be walking down the streets, the same streets I always walked down. And there'd be, you know, the pub, this pub or that pub that I used to drink in. And I would duck into a doorway and say, Lord, I, I just don't know how to relate to that world anymore. This is difficult for me. I don't know how to even talk to them anymore. 
because they were part of my past. I don't know how the new me is going to be accepted or received by the old you. Are you with me? I don't know how this is going to work. And so very often, I would rather not meet people from my past. I would rather just stay as I am, absorb myself in the church. But, of course, that's no good for witnessing. Sometimes you meet people from your past and it's great. You can go up and talk to them and it goes so well. But sometimes that's just simply not the case. Now, Jesus had this same problem. Remember, they said to Jesus, we know who you are. You're the carpenter's son. That's his past. We know exactly who you are. We know where you came from. And there's always that sense, I think, in which maybe our family, our history, our old friends try to keep us there in some way. And when you see them, they are a challenge to you. They're a challenge to you about the changes that you say have taken place in your life. So when you walk up to someone you haven't seen for 15 or 20 years, and maybe in that time you've been saved, they present you with the old you. They knew you when you were lost. And you're making claims, oh, now I'm born again, and now I'm this. And it's a challenge to that reality. And that's something I think we often want to avoid. One of the most interesting pastoral encounters I ever had was uh, I was rang by parents who said they had severe problems with their two sons. And I went there, I talked to them, it was actually Christmas time. And I sat down and said, what's wrong? And the mum told me the whole story. We've got two sons. They grew up together in the house. But when they got to about 13 or 14, they started to fight physically. And we mean fight. Punches, kicks, it was you know, terrible. So much so, we had to split them. So one of our sons grew up with like an aunt and the other son grew up in the house. They never saw each other. They lived separately, separate lives. The boys left, they grew up, they got jobs, they moved away from home and one day one of the brothers rang the other brother and said, this is stupid. We were kids, we were fighting back then. What were we doing? Do you want to meet up? And they did, they met, and they began to see one another regularly. And one day, just for a joke, they rang their parents and said, hey, guess what? We're coming home for Christmas together. <laughs> and the parents thought, oh, okay. And they were laughing, they were happy, they'd got over it. They turned up for Christmas together. And the four of them are sitting at the table, eating Christmas dinner, right? And this is what one of the boys said to me. We were sitting there. We were over our past. We were happy eating our dinner. And on one side, there's my mom. <laughs> on the other side, there's my dad waiting for the fight. We didn't want to fight, but they ended up fighting. And they, you know, I thought it was an interesting you know, way to see that situation. They entered into the room, leaving their past behind. But the parents were still right there in it. And it's almost like negative faith. The negative faith drew out that old version of those two boys, right? And we've got to be careful. Those, I went back actually and spoke to the parents, not the, the boys. The problem was with the parents. And I had to go back to them and say, hey guys, you're the issue here, not your sons. They've got over it. Your expectations are all wrong. Life changes people. The experiences that we have change, changes us and changes those that you know in your past. Look at this list. I mean, you could go on forever. You know what changes people? Age. Just growing older will change you. Age has a way of 
humbling people so they're not as proud as they used to be because your hair falls out and your teeth fall out or whatever. Age will humble you whether you like it or not. Experience changes people. Successes change people. The culture they live in can change them. They're not the person you knew. Failures, deaths change people. You know, my dad's death didn't change me that much, to be honest. But Jeanette, when Jeanette's mum died, that really changed Jeanette. She was never the same again. She changed as a person. It was a life change. It was an experience that altered her. You see? So different things change different people and you may not have seen them. Education can change people. Knowledge and illness can change people you know, drastically if they can't cope with it. That can make them very, very bitter. Divorce changes people. Money can change people terribly. Whether they have it or they don't have it, people can be very different whether they have it or don't. Money changes people. Poverty can change people. Accidents can very, very, very much change people. So you see, for you, many of these things may, you, you've gone through them. Years have gone by. For the people that you're meeting, your family, it's the same for them. And when you meet them, it's almost like a flashback. Here comes this person you haven't seen for five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And they've gone through many things and so have you. And I think as Christians, we need to learn how to deal with that encounter. We need to learn how to deal evangelistically and sensibly in a mature way, just like Joseph did. These things are very emotional. They stir up all sorts of feelings. What does it say here? Joseph wept. Joseph took, in fact, this is the second time he wept. There was another time he took himself away and he wept and wept as he thought about the past. As he thought about what the brothers had tried to do to him, as he thought of how he loved them and everything that had happened, the outcome was Joseph wept. He was beginning to face up to the pains and the hurts, the experiences, the failures, the successes that he had gone through. And it's okay, man. You know it's okay to cry. Here he is, a growing man. He's the ruler of Egypt, by the way. And he's crying as a growing man. So, man, it's okay to cry. Just don't cry all the time. Amen? <laughs> it's perfectly all right. You need to let that out and let those emotions flow. I want to show you three simple things that Joseph did that can help me to meet my family, can help you to meet yours. The first thing, I'll come to self-actualization in a moment. The first thing that Joseph said, look at it, it's in verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. Or in your version, it may say, come near. Now, can you imagine that? These are the guys who tried to kill him. And he's saying, come near to me. And that's a big act, you know. That's a very, very, very strong act of compassion of Joseph's will. There's a lot of love involved in that. Imagine saying to these guys who tried to kill you, these guys who have separated you from your dad all these years, hey guys, come here. Come near to me. And what he's saying in that is, you don't have to be afraid of me. You know what you did. You tried to kill me. When people have hurt you in your past, do you know when they see you, they're a bit afraid of you, right? And he's relieving them of that fear. They're coming back into his life. They know who he is. They realize he's Joseph. And he understands that they're going to be terrified that they tried to kill him. He says, you know what, guys? Relax. Come near. Come here. 
And that's a great act of grace. In another place there, it says that Joseph could see that his brothers now were honest men. They had changed. Yes, they had been corrupt all those years ago, but experience changed them. Life had changed them. And Joseph said, it says Joseph saw that his brothers now were honest men. And so he said to them, don't, don't trouble yourselves, men. Come near to me. And I think we could do with remembering that. Whether it's your graduation, whether it's a funeral, whether it's a wedding, whether it's Christmas or whatever family event comes up where people come near you from your past, don't leave them dangling, but be willing to offer them the grace that these men certainly needed. And I'm sure you know folks who need exactly the same from you. I've told you before, when I worked in social services, they promoted me to get rid of me sort of thing. I, I was actually in health services and they promoted me out and up into social services. And that was great. And I ended up over one area of, of Cardiff City. And a few years went by, the health department I was in shut down. And so some of the people who wanted me out back then transferred to this department and ended up on the same, you know, applying for jobs in my area. So you, do you understand that? Those who were against me seven, eight years ago ended up, they were going to have to face me on an employment panel. And, I, and word got to me that there was two particular people that I knew well who both had said there's no point in applying. And I rang one of the guys. I said, you know, hi, Steve. I hear you're not going for the job, huh? And he says, what's the point in going for the job if you're... That's your area, man, you know? I had a chat with that guy. I said, you know what, Steve? That was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. And I've changed, and I'm sure you have changed too. Why don't you go for the job? Apply for it. And he did, and he got it. And he did reasonably well. He could have done better, but he did very well, really. There was another woman I could never get her to apply. She would not come out of her past. She wouldn't let it go, you know? And that's, it's a bit like Joseph here. We've got to be willing to reach in and bring people out. Say you were bullied at school. What do you do if you see that bully this Christmas or you see that bully in the street? How do you treat that person? We've got to let them go also from their... This is a two-way deal. We've got to let them go from their past. Some of you will know a guy called Steve Nolan. He has a radio phone-in program. And there was a, a show on a few weeks back. And it was people who had been bullied were asked to phone in. And there's loads of people ringing in saying, I was bullied, I was bullied. But this one man came on and he was crying. He couldn't get out what he wanted to say. He just cried and cried and cried. And they waited and waited. I thought he must have been really bullied. No, he was a bully. He rang and he said, you know what? Forgive me for ringing your program because I don't have the right to. It's not for people like me, but I'm actually a bully. And I want to apologize to the boys in my school, particularly, I think he named two people. I wrecked their lives. I tortured them all through school. And I'm sorry that I did that back then. And it was the best phone call in the program because it was so genuine. He wanted to talk about it. You see, it works both ways. When you think of your past, people have done things to you and you need to be very willing to let them go because they suffer in that just like that bully was suffering. Emotions are all right, you know, right? To let those emotions out. Jeanette's got four kids, but only one of them grew up with me. I raised one of them and that was James. Many of you know James. 
as a father, sometimes I think I was a very good father, sometimes I think I was a terrible father. <laughs> Anybody witness with that? <laughs> it's a bit like that. Sometimes you think, well, I, did I do that right? Did I do this right? And I, I still scratch my head and think, well, uh, James, I, I hope I raised you well. And I hope I was caring enough towards you. And I hope I instructed you right. And sometimes I sort of panic and think I didn't. We were away on a retreat together, father and son retreats. And uh, it was a Christian thing. And the fathers were all on one side of the room and the sons were all on the other side of the room, you know. And uh, it, was, it wasn't a fight. Um, you just split us up and they said, right, and they were talking to the, 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 the dads and they said to the fathers, if there's any father here who would like to say sorry to their son for anything they didn't do or for not being a good enough father, get up and go over and talk to your son. So I thought, I'll go. I got up, I went over. Do you know, James, well, as soon as I started to move, he, start, he was exploding to get to me first. And he was saying, you don't have to apologize for anything. I said, James, I, I hope I was, he said, no, 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 no. And I tell you, both of us cried and cried and cried and cried. And it's almost like just, he was so willing to let me go. So willing to say, look, see the slate? Wipe it clean. Break the slate. Nothing between you and I. That's a good attitude. Amen? And that's what you see in Joseph right here. If Joseph is going to hold on to things from his past that others have done to him, then his own life is going to be messed up. It's a two-way thing. For Joseph to become the man he is to be, it involves him letting his brothers go. Are you with me? It's a two-way deal. He had to do that. So the first thing, he says, come near. And as you meet your family, please don't keep them at arm's length. Oh, you hurt me. And on the surface, everything's so nice, nice. But inside, you know you're keeping them at arm's length. That's not good. That's not good. There's unforgiveness somewhere. There's something that has to come up, come out, and be dealt with. Joseph says, come near. The second thing, and it's a beautiful thing, he says, I am. Verse 3, Genesis 45, verse 3. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. And that is fantastic. Do you know what he's actually saying? I'm not bound. I'm not smeared in goat's blood and thrown into a pit in the ground. I'm actually Joseph. I'm the Joseph that I spoke of in my dream. Remember that, guys? <laughs> I am Joseph. I have become the thing that you tried to kill. And I like the fact that he's not afraid to declare who he is. You see, things are not the same. As much as Joseph is not against his brothers, he's not out to get them. But at the same time, brothers, I want you to understand something. I'm not the same Joe you tried to kill. Things have changed. For a start, let me tell you this. I'm not afraid of you anymore. And Joseph is declaring to his brothers, back then I was a kid. Back then you were able to tie me up. You were able to put me down. Today I'm ha happen to be the ruler of Egypt. And I am not afraid of you anymore. Times have changed. The second thing he needs to say to his brothers and he wants to say to them is, I don't need your approval anymore. Remember how as a younger brother, as the youngest brother, I wanted your yes, I wanted your approval, I wanted your smile. Well, times have changed. And I actually don't need your approval anymore. 
In fact, I wonder why I ever thought I did. Oh, times have changed, all right. And Joseph is saying, in saying I am Joseph, he's saying to them, oh, and by the way, you won't be dominating my life anymore. I know you did that, and you affected me for many years, but that will not be happening anymore. I am Joseph. I have become the person that you tried to snuff out. I've actually become that person. And he's got to the place in his life where he has a healthy self-confidence. He has a healthy self-love. And that is a very good place to be. You know, you know what, girls? It's okay to look good. It's okay to fix yourself up before you come out. Amen. Try to do that if you can. Praise the Lord. But it's not okay if that becomes nigh on an obsession with you. It's not okay if you have to have such and such designer clothes or you don't feel you're worth anything. It's not okay if your hair has to be this way or that way. It's not okay if you, you know, everything's dependent on what you look like. That's not okay at all. That's a wrong perspective. And Joseph has got himself to a place where he says, I am. You can like it or lump it. But I am who I am. That's who I am. Jeanette sometimes says that to me, you know. She shouts that at me. <laughs> Amen. I like that. I like that because it's confidence, you know. I'll say something, you know, and every now and again she'll say, I am what I am. I am who I am. Like it or lump it. <laughs> That's good, though. That's very good because it shows self-confidence and not afraid to be that. What you don't want is to be a person of low self-esteem. That's a pain in the neck, right? Self-confidence is a very different thing. And Joseph is showing that he has self-confidence right here in that statement. Don't be too bamboozled by this triangle, but this is a very famous triangle. It's Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of human needs, and I've shown it to many of you before. Some of you will be familiar with it. He says to be a healthy human being. For you to be a healthy human being, there's a stage-by-stage -stage process in that. The first thing we need is very practical things. Biological needs, physiological needs. We need food. We need shelter. If that's met, we can look for safety and, and cover in life. If those needs are met, we begin to work towards our emotions, our soul. You've got belonging and love needs. And if you meet those needs right, you're still going to find that you've got esteem needs that you need to meet correctly. But Maslow's whole point is this. If a person meets these needs correctly, they become what he calls self-actualized. And what he means by that is they become all that they were supposed to be. They've become the you that God had intended them to be originally. But you see, what I want you to understand, friends, is this. Joseph, for his self-esteem, he wasn't dependent on his brothers. Not anymore. And for the first time in his life, he was able to let that go. Joseph, for his family and his love and belonging, he was able to let his brothers go. He was able to say, do you know what, guys? I am. I am. You know the Joseph that you threw in the pit? I didn't even know who I was. I didn't know my own value. I didn't know my own worth. And so you were able to drag me, gag me, and throw me in that hole. But guess what, guys? I am now. I am. I've found out who I am. I've found out what I'm worth. Right? Mm -hmm. Joseph had become who God had intended him to become. And it's a, it's, a, it's a sorry day, folks, when you see so many people afraid to do that, afraid or never emerging into the person that God has made them to be. I would much rather have, a, with, with our kids in this church, I would much rather have a child who's overconfident 
than a child with low self-esteem. I think of Natanya. She's a great example. Natanya, when I'm here, and I'm here on my own, I'm preparing over there, Natanya will walk in here, grab a Bible, come up here, and she'll say, right, turn to Genesis chapter 1. <laughs> right? Great. <laughs> Pastor Fred's boy, Eliab, bursting with confidence, so much so you have to lasso the guy and pull him back. I would rather have that any... Do you know what that is? That's a good problem. That's what you call a good problem. Do you know what a bad problem is? When a person's got low self-esteem. A good problem is when you have put so much into them that they're bursting with life, they're bursting with confidence, and you can see it a mile away, right? A bad problem is when they, they won't even speak. They're sitting there and they won't speak, they won't express themselves, that's no good. That's the opposite of this. And from a young age, we should have been raised correctly to be able to express yourself, to be the person that you're going to be. Did Joseph get that? No. From his dad, he did. His dad loved him very much. Right? But the brothers tried to stifle him, and down he went. And later in life, he found himself having to go back and to find out who he was. It's not funny, is it, really? Some of you have been put down from a very young age. And some of you have never, ever dealt with those problems. Never been able to stand up and say, I am Patrick. I am Sheila. I am the me that God originally intended. The damages of life have been so great upon you that maybe you've never faced up to them and put right the things that were done wrong to you. And that's exactly what Joseph is doing. Now, it took a family reunion to do that. You see, when you self-actualize, when you become all that God has intended you to be, or at least you begin to move in that direction... You don't have to score points. You don't have to get back at your brothers or your mum or your dad or your old friends. It's not about point scoring. When I got saved, wow, I had, I had a lot of people I was involved with. It was just my life. I was heavily involved in many people's lives. And two people I had really hurt. I'd hurt their, messed up their lives badly. And I began to just, you know, what you do, you recompense, you start to go back over everything you've done and I, I put as much right as I could, but for these two people, if they saw me, they'd probably whack me. <laughs> so in their case, I thought, Lord, what I'll do, I'm going to write them a letter. I knew where they lived. I wrote them both a letter of apology from my life. I said, you and I were involved for years, and I damaged you, and I am sorry. I'm actually a born-again Christian now. And I put those letters through both of those doors, never thinking, never dreaming that either of them would come anywhere near me. I thought they'd just rip it up, burn it. Both of those people came to me independently and knocked my door holding my letter. And I remember one of them putting it down and I can't remember his exact words, but he said to me something like this, I never ever thought that there was a God, but you saying sorry to me, <laughs> maybe there's a God, you know? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Now, you see, I just got saved. I'm just born again. For the first time in my life, I know who I am. I've got a vision of who I am. And all of a sudden, I don't have to settle any scores. I don't have to score any points with you. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me make the first move. Let me do that. Let me provide the grace in this situation. And Joseph is doing exactly that. He could have damned his brothers. He could have locked them up. He could have had them put in prison. Instead, he says, come near. 
you come near to me. You who have harmed me, come near to me. So first he says, I am. So, sorry, first he says, come near. Then we see him say, I am. And the last one, in verse 5, he says to his brothers, And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me. He's telling them not to be mad at themselves, completely letting themselves off the hook. And you can imagine, since they were now honest men, they were probably very angry at themselves. Do you know, look at me a moment. This is important. Sometimes rejection is the best thing that can ever happen to you. But you don't realize it at the time. Sometimes the rejection of your family, for him it was his whole family, all his brothers, turning their back on him and walking away and leaving him in a pit. That's rejection, right? You're on your own. Sometimes rejection by your family, by your church, by your friends, by your work colleagues, by your fellow students, whatever, is the best thing that could ever happen to you. And do you know why? Because it catapults you into reality. It makes you dependent upon God. It lets you see what's important and what is not. It enables you after maybe some time, as it was in Joseph's, it was some time, but the day probably comes when you look back and you think, rejection? Why did I ever think I needed you? Why did I ever think I needed this approval or that approval? And that's where Joseph had come to. Do you know for me, I remember it, I'm sure many of you can witness with this. There was one time I wanted a job, a specific job. And I wanted that job so, so much. In fact, I applied for the job and I got the job. But there was a person there who didn't want me to get the job. He happened to be out of the country at the time of the interview. And so when he came back, he said I couldn't have it. So it was a sort of a legal situation I found myself in. Social services brought me in and said, you've legally got the job, but we've got a problem. Will you accept another one? I said, yes, I'll accept another one. And that one man had prevented me from going exactly where I so much wanted to go. I ended up going over here and getting saved. And see what Joseph says? You, you meant it for harm. You blocked my life. You rejected me. And I ended up going to Egypt and now you all end up getting saved. Food, great deliverance, he calls it, right? So you see, rejection for me was actually God's hand to turn me the way he wanted me to go. But you don't see that at the time. Very hard to see it. But I believe the day can come for you, even if it's costly, and it is costly. It causes us a lot of pain rejection from your family, from your friends, from your whatevers. But you need to go through that. And I believe the day can come when you say, do you know what, as I look back, why on earth did I think I needed you so much? I needed that job so much. I needed this or that so much. Because in reality, we needed God. We needed to become what God had called us to be. So whatever family encounters are coming up for you, whether it's graduations or Christmas or whatever, I ask you to enter it with humility. To go into it and look as Joseph did, to do good to those within that family tree, your friends or whatever. To enter there by all means with self-confidence. But don't abuse that. And if people have hurt you, tell them they don't have to be mad at themselves. You take the first step.